Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise be to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. Over 100 episodes, almost 40 different ethnic backgrounds, living in almost 30 different countries. In just two seasons, the Niqabi Diaries podcast has brought you the stories of Muslim women across the globe. Women united in sisterhood by their commitment to the Deen of Islam. Welcome to season three of the Naqabi Diaries podcast, where, inshallah, we will continue to bring you the stories of the women behind the veil. The Naqabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to another episode of the Naqabi Diaries, season three podcast. Today we have with us Sister Jamila from the Naqabi Society. I'm going to let her introduce herself for us so that I don't mess it up as usual, inshallah. So Sister, could you introduce yourself for the listeners and tell us a little bit about what you do, inshallah? Yes, wa alaikum salam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah, thank you for having me. Um, so yes, my name is Jamila Faiza and I am the founder and the president of Nikabi Society. And uh, I'm also the American Nikabi on um, Instagram and social media. MashaAllah, Allahumma Barik. So, sister, could you tell us a little bit about your Islamic background? Are you born Muslim? Are you a revert? Tell us, how did you get to be wearing the Nikab, inshallah? Um, well, I am a revert. I've been Muslim now for 11 years, alhamdulillah. And um, I've been wearing Nikab now for nine years, alhamdulillah. Can you can you share with us some of your revert story? How did you come to Islam? Oh, so Islam, um, Allah guides whoever He wants to Islam. When I became Muslim, um, Allah really guided me because at that time I didn't know any Muslims. I had never even heard of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. I never heard of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I was oblivious to Islam my, my whole life. I didn't even know anything about it. And so um, I really feel like I didn't have anybody around me either. I didn't know any other Muslims or anything. So Allah really just guided me to Islam. But like, how, did, how did it happen? What was your first encounters with the religion? How Was it through a person? Was it from going to the library or like, how did it happen? And to, to um, me, it's hard to ask as well, because at, being an African-American, most people, um, you know, especially in other countries from the UK, for example, we understand that most African-Americans have some kind of understanding about Islam, even if it's not authentic Islam, because of, you know, the history of Malcolm X and, you know, a Nation of Islam, these kinds of things. So how, how is it that you as an African-American didn't really have any kind of encounters with Islam and Muslims? Um. Well, I grew up in, I grew up in Florida and um, I was, I guess, worried about other things and I wasn't really worried about um, religion too much um, until I became Muslim. But this was um, back MySpace days on social media and there was um, a guy who was on there who was trying to talk to me for, for years. He was always messaging me, trying to talk to me. And then um, a few years later, I just messaged him and I was like, okay, you know, hi, you know, what's up? And so um, 
so he would send me information like um, about the nation. And that's where I first heard about Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the information that he would send me, he would just like drop little seeds, plant little seeds in my head. And I would do research on it. And I would see, let me say that I grew up in foster care, seven of us in there. So one of the kids that I was in foster care with, um, as we grew up, we all kind of separated at this time where I was learning about Islam, or I shouldn't even say learning about it, but I was just being introduced to it. I was actually in New York. So I went from Florida and I was in New York at the time. And the only person that I really kind of knew up there was him. So I would go to his house and we'd hang out. So I would take what I was learning from the guy off of MySpace mm-hmm. and that I would do the research on, and then I would bring it back to him. And we would just have conversations when we were hanging out. And then while I was hanging out with him, mm-hmm. I found out that he was Muslim. Right. And he said he was Muslim, but he wasn't part of the nation. He was a Sunni Muslim. Right. Okay. And so that's right. And so also when I was talking about, um, when I was learning about the nation, there were things that I didn't agree with, mm-hmm. you know, when I was um, learning about it, there were things that didn't make sense, things I didn't agree with. And so I would bring it back to him and I would talk to him about it. And then when he explained to me the Sunni Islam, then it made more sense to me. Uh And then it was kind of a gradual process after that. And then um, I met somebody else and I wasn't Muslim at the time still. Uh And then we went to a masjid because they were Muslim. And we went to a masjid and I fell in love with, I just fell in love with the feeling of being at a masjid. And, um, it wasn't that the masjid was beautiful or anything like that. It was in Bronx, New York, um, on White Plains Road, underneath the train tracks, such a small uh, masjid. But I just, I just felt so connected and I felt so in love and at peace there. And I fell in love with the masjid. So I think it was all of these seeds that were being planted that led me to Islam. And then one day I just said I wanted to take my shahada. Inshallah. So did you do that in the masjid that you was going to? Um, no, um, I actually just did it in the house with the, um, the guy that I was talking to at the time. Okay. Um, he actually gave me my shahada and it was just me and him. And he, um, we did the shahada like that. Um, so. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. But leading up to that. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Um, leading up to that, it was other things like Allah was just guiding me through the whole way. So I was living in Florida and I decided I was working, I'm doing sales in Florida at the time. And I saw that my job that I was working was paying more in New York. And so I decided to transfer my job to New York. So I went back to Florida and I was packing my stuff up. Uh Now, um, at this time when I was moving and packing my stuff, I still wasn't Muslim. And so when I was packing, and of course, before in the dunya, um, I mean, I wasn't Muslim, so I lived in the dunya. I liked, um, you know, I, I liked the dunya. So I would go, you know, go out and stuff like that. And of course, my clothes wasn't uh, modest or anything. So now at this time, when I was um, packing my stuff up, I had separated stuff and I was going to give some to the church and I was going to take some with me. Uh-huh. When the church came, they ended up taking all of my clothes. Okay. So 
they took all of my clothes. And of course, that was my um, clothes that I wore to the club, all the clothes that I shouldn't be wearing, wow. uh, my heels, everything. Wow. And so um, it was a law. Now, when I look back, I see how a law was working in my life like Allah just took it away from me. Uh And so it was like, okay, you're not going to wear this anymore, you know? And then at that time I was still like, you know, little seeds were being planted Uh inside of me. So it was growing. And then once it came time, you know, once I was learning about Islam and stuff, I didn't really go back to buying that kind of clothes and stuff. So it was little things like that that just led me towards Islam before I even know I was going to be Muslim. And actually, something funny, when I took my Shahada, like I said, I really didn't know too much, um, too many Muslims. I didn't know any except the person who gave me my Shahada and then uh, my foster brother at the time. And they practiced, but they weren't really practicing Muslims. Uh And so I asked him, because I saw, now at the time I was going, you know, I went to the masjid, I saw what Muslim women looked like. And I, I said, um, can I be Muslim and not dress like one? Because I, I said, like, I want to be Muslim, but I don't ever want to dress like one, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. So now when I look in the mirror, like, you know, we plan, but Allah is the ultimate planner yes, <laughs> because I would have never had a clue I'd be dressed like this. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. SubhanAllah. So, um, okay, I just want to, I'm going to ask you about the hijab as well, but I want to ask you another question about differences that um you found between the nation of islam and the sunni islam so just for the listeners like what kind of because you mentioned that you didn't agree with a lot of things from the nation of islam so can you just give us some examples because i think that still today some people have this idea that islam is what the nation of islam like kind of mentions and i've seen some african-american movies for example and they mention some things and i'm just thinking like what's that because that's not not got nothing to do with islam at all and i think that's something that's coming from the nation of islam so from your experience what is what are those things that you picked up on that you didn't personally agree with and you found that they had nothing to do with islam yes um i just want to backtrack just a little mm-hmm. and while i was um being guided towards Islam, I was also searching. I was going to different um, churches. I went to the Baptist, the Methodist, the, the Catholic. Mm-hmm. I was going to different churches trying to um, get answers or just guidance to how I was feeling or what it was that I was searching for, just trying to make sense and see what the right thing was to do. Because I had it inside of me where I wanted to do the right thing, but I just didn't know what it was. And so I was, um, I was searching, trying to find out. So I even went to the kingdom hall and I studied all of these, um, in all of these places. And what would happen was if I would find something that didn't make sense or didn't, it wasn't true or make sense, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't follow it. And that's what happened with all of the religions and why I just kept on going and searching. So now when it came to the nation, uh, well, I also, like I was saying, grew up in Florida. Um, In Florida, there's white people, black people, Spanish people, you know, Puerto Rican, Mexican, everybody Mm -hmm. is there that we grew up with. And so I had friends who were white, right? And I had friends who were um, all different races, nationalities, everything. Mm -hmm. So now when it came to the nation, um, I didn't agree with them when they said, like, white people were the devil, because uh-huh. I had friends who were white and it just didn't make sense. Yeah. So I 
I believed in the part where they, you know, talked about Allah, the Prophet, but everything else, you know, it was just not making sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't see like, you know, it just didn't make sense that part. So that's when I just, you know, kept on going. Yeah. So, okay. So next, how did you come to wear the hijab? Obviously you became Muslim and then you said, well, I don't want to dress like a Muslim woman. So how was your progress? How did you get to actually wearing the hijab itself? Like, how did that work out? Um, it was really um, a process of understanding, you know, and this is one big reason why I don't judge other sisters. I don't judge them because first of all, I know where I came from. Mm -hmm. I know that I wasn't Muslim. I said, I didn't ever want to dress like a Muslim. And I know my process, you know, at first I started, it was winter and I started wearing a scarf and I kind of just threw it over my head mm -hmm. as a hijab, but I was still wearing like boots to my knees, skinny jeans, mm. <laughs> you know, three quarter sleeve shirt. Yeah. So, but you know, I was trying with the scarf, mm -hmm. but I didn't have the understanding of what um, covering your beauty is. I didn't understand like the modest thing. I thought, okay, well, as long as I have this cloth wrapped around my head that I was um, dressing modestly. And then it was like a gradual process and things inside of me that would make me um, understand. So after I had the skinny jeans, it was, and I remember I went to the masjid on 96th on um, street in um, New York. And I went there to pray and a sister came up while I had the skinny jeans on, right? Mm -hmm. A sister came up to me and tried to give me a blanket to cover with, you know, mm -hmm. she's giving me this blanket. And I just looked at her like she was crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I'm okay. I don't need that. I'm fine. You know, I just, cause I didn't get it. Yeah. And so, um, and so I, I, I remember these things as, you know, part of my journey in covering and dressing the way I am. So I remember that. And then I remember, um, oh, I get it. Now we shouldn't wear pants. So I started wearing dresses, but um, the dress had to be fitted. You know, I wanted to still see my shape under the dress. Like yeah. I'll wear a dress, but I still wanted it to be fitted. Uh -huh. And I still have my hijab on. Uh -huh. And so, um, and then I understood, okay, it's supposed to conceal. Like, you know, you're not supposed to see everything. So I started wearing like a bigger one. And, um, like one, like then I started wearing a bias instead of maxi dresses, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> and then, um, after that, after I had, um, started wearing the dresses, it was still, um, understanding, you know, I had to understand what, um, beauty was, you know, I didn't, before I became Muslim and started to really learn. I don't think that I really had such an understanding of what the beauty of a woman is, you know? I thought it was maybe just her shape or her face or something when it's so deep how beautiful a woman is, you know? And it's the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you stand. It's just so much. And over time, I started to understand, um, like, the beauty. And, and, and what it was to conceal your beauty. And so um, let me just go back a little now before I started. Um, so I was still wearing the dresses and I wore the hijab. And when I was out, I still had guys who weren't Muslim trying to talk to me, uh -huh. you know? And so me dressing like, um, dressing like that, 
it wasn't really concealing much. You know, I was still wearing um, colors or I was still doing different things. And it just wasn't like concealing my beauty. I was still, um, you know, guys were still approaching me, trying to talk to me. And so that was like a little bit of an understanding of, okay, let me do this to conceal it. Let me do this to conceal it, you know? And I even remember a time like I, before I was Muslim, I loved heels. I used to probably wear heels about 16 hours a day, right? And so I never thought that, um, I never thought I would stop wearing them. And so even when I became Muslim, I tried to find a halal heel, right? Like how can I wear, I remember the process of thinking, what can I do to find a shoe that's halal? Like what makes it not halal, Mm -hmm. right? And I was just like, okay, we're not supposed to be heard walking, right? So I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'll find a rubber shoe, like something with a rubber at the bottom so it doesn't click, right? And I was trying, like going through this process and I was trying to think of what it was. And then I remember one day, I thought I found the perfect heel and I was in Manhattan and I was wearing an abaya. I'm wearing um, my abaya and I had on the heels that were rubber, you know, they weren't making any noise or anything. And then I realized that how my body was moving and it wasn't in like, it was a way that, um, it would draw attention to you. You know, it wasn't a modest way, you know, if that makes sense, you know? And so I was so embarrassed. And then I understood, oh, this is another reason. It's not just because of the noise that we don't wear the heels and this, it's, you know, it just makes you walk in a um, not modest way. And so um, it's little things like that, that would have me go to the next level and, um, end up, you know, bringing me to dressing the way I am and everything now. So it's um, those little points, you know, throughout that I could look back and um, I'm like, okay, I get it. So it's instances like that, that how I feel like I understood Islam because I would have that feeling inside, you know, Allah would teach me lessons like that. You know, growing, I grew up in foster care, so I didn't really have a mom or a dad to, disappoint or tell me to do this or do that so I've been on my own since I was 16 and so um Allah taught me lessons you know and it was through um situations that he taught me the lessons and so I was always very um keen or understood them you know Mm -hmm. and so all of these little things were all of my process of learning and understanding Islam Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. It's so, it's so nice hearing your experience because it's almost, it's like very similar to how I experienced it as well. You know, that you mentioned about the heels and even like the tight clothes, everything like, subhanAllah, I went through all those stages as well, subhanAllah. So yeah, I can really, um, you know, like relate to that. MashaAllah. Okay, so coming up to the niqab now, what was the, what was the point that kind of brought you to the niqab itself? Um, I think the part that brought me to the niqab, and this is only two years now, from the time I took my shahada to the time I started wearing niqab, it was only two years. Yeah. And when I say took my shahada, I took my shahada, that's pretty much when I first found out about Islam. Mm-hmm. So it's only two years that I'm really learning about Islam. And most of my um, knowledge and education really came from YouTube. I, I, I literally learned um islam from youtube Mm -hmm. i would youtube different people 
and I would learn, um, I would learn my Dean like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so back to how I was saying how I would still walk around the city and I would have people try to still talk to me. Men would still try to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And then at, through all this time, I was understanding, um, what beauty is like what a woman's beauty is that we should conceal and stuff. And then, um, it just hit me and I'm like, I, I should cover my face. Like, so that's what it was. I was still walking around and I still had men trying to talk to me. And I just decided, you know, I, I didn't want that. And, um, niqab and everything, it's, it's, it's like a barrier or protection. And so I just wanted that. I wanted the, um, to conceal my beauty even more. Alhamdulillah. So um, at the time, did you know other sisters who were in the niqab itself? But at that time when um, I decided to wear niqab, I really didn't know too many sisters or um, anybody wearing the niqab. At that time, I still didn't really have um, Muslim friends. Okay, okay. So how did you get access to a niqab then? Like, where did you get it from? Like, what was your first experience with the niqab itself? Like, from the practical side, where did you buy it? You know, how, who, told you, how, who taught you how to put it on? How was your experience in learning how to wear it? You know, what type of niqab did you get? All right. So I was actually in, um, I was in Newark, and I used to go there to this one bookstore off of Washington Ave. Uh-huh. And in that store, I got my salat dresses. I'd buy different books to learn from. And there they sold niqabs. So I bought that niqab. And I think it was a three-layer niqab that I bought. Okay. And that was the one I started with. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So was it easy for you wearing it the first time? Um, it was. And honestly, I, um, alhamdulillah, ever since I first started wearing it, I haven't taken it off. Alhamdulillah. So, yeah. So... Alhamdulillah, I, I really, like I was saying before, um, I really feel like Allah really guides me in my life. I didn't, like I was saying, I, I really didn't have a mom or a dad or anybody else. I really just relied on Allah. And even before I was Muslim or that I knew about Allah, I, um, I like felt him guiding me inside and I trusted him. I used to even be in situations before I was Muslim and I could either do the right thing or the wrong thing. And I would say like, I'm going to do the right thing, but I'm doing the right thing because I trust you. Yes. You know, I trust, I, I trust the law. And so, you know, I'm not going to do the wrong because I trust you. And if I do the wrong, I'm showing, I don't trust you. Yes. Okay. So um, you started wearing the neck off, mashallah, and you haven't taken it off. So, like, what about work and things like that? What was you doing at the time in your day-to-day life? Was you working? Was you studying? And if so, like, how was the reaction from, you know, your close people and, you know, people around you, people who knew you and used to see you on a regular basis? Yeah, well, I was working at that time. I was actually doing sales. And when I went to work, and even um, when I went to work, they asked me, how was I going, you know, how did I, how did I think I would work like that? And they fired me. Subhanallah. Yeah. So they told me basically like, I wasn't going to work there like that. And um, at that time I was an independent contractor. So it wasn't like you could really do anything, you know? So they just, um, they fired me and that was it. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. 
what about like friends that you had at the time or was there anybody apart from your work obviously firing you was there anybody else who gave you kind of negative reactions to when the nephod um yeah even me just becoming muslim i had uh, my friends now i really didn't have the family Mm-hmm. And so my friends were my family. Yeah. So I, I looked at them like they were my family. Mm-hmm. And so when I became Muslim, all of them, except maybe one, stopped being my friend. And yeah, and it was um, not because I did anything. And it was so shocking to me that they would stop being my friend. Mm-hmm. Because when I was going out, when I was doing things that weren't halal yeah they didn't have a problem leaving their kids with me they didn't have a problem with um everything but as soon as i want to start um living a better life and not doing certain things then they didn't want their kids around me Mm. they didn't want um they didn't want me in their house um they didn't want to be friends with me and these were friends from i had some uh, friends from second grade ever since seventh eighth ninth grade and yeah they just you know didn't want to be friends anymore Mm. and um you know alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah, subhanallah but uh, you know Allah always replaces it with something better so no at that time um it really hurt you know because especially I looked at them like they were my family of course yeah you know yeah so it was just you know it was hard to accept and I always I always like it I felt like it was Allah testing me mm-hmm. like how bad do you want Islam yes like are you going to give it up for this or do you really want it yeah and I, I always you know alhamdulillah chose Islam over whatever hardship I was going through yes subhanallah that must have been really really difficult actually and um I think as well, other sisters can definitely relate to this because it's something that a lot of us go through when we become Muslim or maybe if you're coming from a Muslim background already and then you start practicing Islam as well, you know, people like they kind of back out of your lives, basically. So, yeah, subhanAllah. And I I think it must be especially difficult when you're still living in the same place. you know if you if you move to a different area because that's what i did basically soon after i became muslim i did i moved cities so i was like just a new person in a new place with you know new religion you know i just started from scratch but i think if i had stayed like you know growing up in london um you know and had that kind of experience where you know your friends kind of don't really want to know you because you've changed religion that would have been really really difficult but moving away kind of made it easy for me i think from that perspective as well and obviously your circumstance is still a lot more difficult because as you said you was raised without your family too so it's kind of that must have been really really hard um so since that time have have you yeah. managed to reconnect with any of them have any of them kind of changed their minds about you know you being muslim since it's been quite a while now that you've been muslim fine with that though i'm really fine because at the time when i needed them the most in my life when i was going through everything and my whole life was changing so much mm-hmm. that's when i really needed them and they weren't there mm-hmm. and so i'm really you know alhamdulillah i'm really okay with them not being in my life so um what did you do after getting fired did you manage to get another job you know how has work been for you wearing the niqab since you know since that time
Um, well, I kind of always been um, doing sales and working on my own and figuring something out like that. So I would have different um, jobs that I would do, but not any jobs that I would clock in or work for somebody. Yeah. I would, you know, work for myself or something. Uh -huh. So I wouldn't try to rely on somebody else to um, put myself in a position where they're able to fire me. Of course, yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, you started, you, you became an entrepreneur then. Exactly. I didn't know that. That's great. That's really, really good. So um, while wearing the niqab, have you, I, I'm asking you this, I know the answer already, but have you done any traveling? And if so, how was it, the experience? Um, yeah, I, I love to travel. Uh -huh. um, I have traveled and uh, I travel out of the country and uh, alhamdulillah, it's such a beautiful experience for me. Um, when I go to other countries, I'm... I don't really have a problem. I feel like I have more of a problem here in America than I do in other countries. Um, I have a, I, um, yeah. So here I feel like um, it's harder and I feel more judged and everything here. When I go to other countries, I feel, um, I feel relaxed. I don't feel uh, that it's a problem. I feel welcomed. Mm -hmm. So has it been Muslim countries that you've been visiting or has there been like a mix of Muslim and, and non-Muslim countries? Um, yes, it's, it's countries that are mixed, but they're, um, they're okay with Islam. They're okay with Muslims, you know, but it's not necessarily a Muslim country, mm -hmm. but they're okay with it. It's not like um, here in America where they think it's a bad thing. They, they're more accepting in other countries, I feel like, that I've been to. Okay, so and what about traveling through the airport itself? What was the have you had any negative experiences going through the airport? Um, yes, <laughs> and again, it's here in America. I don't have a problem in the other um, in the other airports. It's mm -hmm. here in America. Like when I travel and I try to come back to America, I have such a hard time coming back into the country. They. Um, they really harass me. They really, really harass me here in America. Um, I'd say this last time that I traveled was probably one of the first times that I had an easy entry um, back into America. And it was so shocking to me. I really felt like it, it just felt so different. Mm -hmm. I had never had an easy entry before. Um, even so, I've had times where I left America, and before I even left the country at the airport, they call me to the side uh, and they question me. They oh. want to know where am I going, who uh -huh. am I going with. They uh -huh. want phone numbers, addresses. Oh. They want all of this information wow. about where am I going and who uh -huh. am I going with and why am I going. Oh, wow. And then um, one time I was coming back into the country, and after traveling for uh, 14, 15 hours, they held me at the airport and questioned me for like four to five hours. SubhanAllah. And they, wow. Yeah. And they already knew by the time um, I got there, they already knew everything about me. They already went through all of my social media. They um, Googled me already. They, um, they knew about my childhood. They knew everything oh, about me oh, when I went to the airport. And so, um, but 
um, they kept on asking me, like, if I was, like, they made it seem like I was hiding something. Mm. And I said, my social media is all public. Everything's public. I told you everything. Uh And they tried to make me seem like I was a bad person. Mm. I said, you see my charities that I do. You see the things that I do, you know, like, I don't try to hurt anybody. I try to help everybody. Mm. And they even said to me, um, what really made me so upset was they would take turns and they would take turns. And the one of the guys asked me, he said, tell me a reason that I could um, let you, you know, leave the airport. I'll feel comfortable knowing you're not going to go out here and hurt somebody. So I, I couldn't believe that they were trying to imply that that was the type of person I am. Wow. So how did you manage to get out? Um, well, they, they even took, um, they took my phone, they took my laptop, they took all of my electronics, they um, wanted me to give them the passwords, they were going through all of my stuff, and I told them I didn't authorize, you know, I didn't give them, um, I didn't okay them to go through anything, and, they, and then um, when the guy said to me, what, you know, tell me something, you know, that'll feel comfortable with you leaving here, you know, I was, I just looked at him. Well, it was just so hurtful. Like, why, why would you think that of me? You know, what have I done for you to think that that's the type of person that I am? Yeah. You know, and it was just so hurtful that someone would just because of the way I look, think that about me. So, but yeah. And then, um, after they went through all of my stuff, they, they, um, they let me go, but yeah, alhamdulillah, that's all part of it, you know? <laughs> so um, do you think that um, things have changed since the COVID and everyone having to wear masks and things like that? Obviously, I think um, a lot of the mandates have been dropped right now, but, um, you know, obviously last year it was still in full force pretty much. So do you think that's made any difference to sisters traveling with the Nehrabon? Well, that is when I was traveling. I traveled through the whole pandemic. <laughs> And so um, that, that's actually when I was traveling, when all of this happened. Mm-hmm. So um, another thing is that, you know, a mask and a niqab is two completely different things. You know, yeah. when people see the black and they see this niqab, mm-hmm. they, um, it, it, it's not, you know, it's totally different and they don't look at it like it's the same at all. Yes, so on that note, would you describe the Dekab as being a barrier? And if so, in which sense? Um, I, I think it's definitely a barrier, but I think it's a barrier in a good way. Uh-huh. You know, I don't think it's, um, it's a negative barrier. I think it's a, like a, a form of protection. You know, like, um, I, I love the Niqab. No matter what it is that I go through, I still um, love it so much, and um, I see it as a, a form of protection for the woman. I don't look at it as a negative thing. So, sister, I want you to tell us um, about some of the work that you're doing right now. Recently, you was raising some 
funds for um you know to feed families in ethiopia Barik, it was really really beautiful initiative but you alhamdulillah you managed to make your target money as well so you've done that and you're in, involved in the um you found you're a founder of the nakabi society as well i believe so if you want to talk yeah. about some of your projects inshallah so that people couldn't get to know you a little bit better yes we did do um we did do a fundraiser to feed families in ethiopia um every time every um ramadan i try to make it so that um i make a way for everyone to get good deeds mm-hmm. and um by feeding people or um helping so um the other year we helped build um a boys school in Sierra Leone and um yeah so we helped um do that we also helped with um water for them mm-hmm. this year we've helped with the masjid in um Syria mm-hmm. so um with my organization Nikabi Society we try to do stuff like that and we try to bring um anybody offer it to others who would want to help to get the good deeds and i try to make it so that we decide on a good deed that will continue to give us good deeds in the hereafter yes so um we did just finish feeding um we we raised the funds to feed families in ethiopia for the whole month of ramadan so we'll be feeding um families they distributed the food just today actually we raised the money um the month before because we wanted to make sure that the families actually had the food so that they were able to um have iftar for their families for the whole month. Mm-hmm. And so we did that and now during the month of Ramadan we are going to be um raising funds to do a well. So we are um uh, we'll be building a well. Um it's called our father's well. Mm-hmm. And what that is is whoever contributes or anything it'll be for their father. So the good deeds will be um rewards for our fathers whoever does it so it's our fathers well and um we'll be raising that throughout Ramadan and um inshallah after yeah, that we'll have um, we'll build it amazing so which country is that in that will also be in Ethiopia okay inshallah so do you personally travel out to these different countries when you're doing these projects um no i haven't but inshallah in the future i will go to them Inshallah, inshallah. That's a really, really beautiful idea, mashallah. I'm about it. Really, really nice. Oh, sure. So, what kind of, what other kinds of things does the Nakabi Society um, do? Uh, well, me becoming Muslim and not having sisters around me and going through the experience that I did, um, we're, we're a sisterhood. So, Nakabi Society is a sisterhood to help other sisters, so they don't have to feel like that. They don't have to feel like they don't have a sisterhood they don't have a place you know we're here to guide you um new shahadas nikabis non-nikabis mm-hmm. um we're here to create that sisterhood and be there for sisters you know we um help new shahadas um and and just create that sisterhood and have everybody feel like they do have a place and we also um in the umma there is um they're not always accepting of nikabis mm-hmm. you know everything is for hijabis or muslims and it's not necessarily for the nikabi so mm-hmm. we wanted to give a place for nikabis so they could you know we have a place for us mm-hmm. that's you know talks about our problems or talks about what we go through in life so nikabi society it's um for 
Nikabi sisters, but it, it is for everybody, but it's geared towards Nikabi sisters. Yes. No, mashallah, I really um, appreciate that as I understand that, like where you're coming from with it as well, because this is something that I experienced like before even wearing the niqab itself. I used to hear a lot of negative talk about the niqab from other sisters who weren't wearing it. So um, I feel that there definitely is a kind of divide and um, what you're doing is good because it helps at least to give a positive image of sisters who wear the niqab as well. And I'm assuming that because you've called your society the niqab society, you must get like asked often, you know, you know, is it for just niqabis and stuff like that? Because people may feel that, oh, maybe you're just trying to kind of, you know, leave other Muslims out who aren't wearing the niqab. But you've already said that it's for everyone, but you're just, you know, it's the main focus obviously is geared towards niqabis because we do get left out a lot of things, especially when it comes to um, representation of Muslims. Exactly. Yeah, and inshallah, we want to um, bridge that gap and really give Nikabi sisters a home, mm -hmm. someplace that they feel like they belong. I've had times where I was um, treated bad by the Muslim sister, and it's so sad to me because, okay, yes, I dress like this, but I'm the same as you. Yeah. I just choose to cover. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't look down or treat somebody who doesn't wear the niqab any different yeah. so i remember um during ramadan one time i went to the masjid and i was breaking fast mm -hmm. and i broke my fast and everything and now we're getting ready to leave um i had sprained my ankle and so when i was leaving i had to sit down to put my shoes on you know mm -hmm. and there was like um, a group of sisters coming like older sisters yeah. and I saw her, you know, I saw them coming down mm -hmm. and it was an older lady. So I reached my hand out to, you know, see if she wanted help down the stairs. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, no. So I didn't think anything of it. I sat down, I'm looking down, tying my shoe, getting it on. And then when I stopped, I looked up and I was surrounded by sisters. Um, yeah, I was surrounded by Muslim sisters. And they were asking me, like, what do I think I'm doing? And they were going off on me because I was wearing the niqab. And I could not believe it. I could not believe it, you know? And, um, but yeah, I've had a couple different um, instances where there's been, I've been around um, Muslim sisters, and they've given me a hard time just because I, I wear the niqab. And, uh, you know, it's so sad to me because not only do we get discriminated on from non-Muslims, but then when it comes from Muslim sisters too, it's yeah, just totally. really, it, it's hurtful. You know, you just, you know, it's it's sad, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. And to, it's just completely un-Islamic behavior. You're not, it's, a, it's against your, you know, adab and etiquette and everything. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. Like, even if you feel in yourself that, the niqab is something you personally don't like. It doesn't give you any justification for mistreating somebody who's wearing it. it, doesn't, it do you know what I mean? Especially right. as a Muslim, subhanAllah. Because I've met non-Muslims and they've said to me, I don't like what you're wearing, but I can respect you, you know, as a person. Do you know what I mean? Even though I don't I don't agree with you, like covering your face, for example. But they said, they've said that to me. And I said, well, I appreciate that you, you know, that, that you said that to me in a respectful way, do you know what I mean? They're not going to, like, abuse me for wearing the niqab, even though they don't understand it. And that's, that's a non-Muslim who doesn't right. know about Islam, for example, do you know what I mean? They don't know about Islam, let alone what is the niqab, what does it mean, or anything like that. So, but for um, another Muslim to just be mistreating a sister because she's wearing the niqab, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. That's, how, that's what I think, you know. I totally agree with that. 
and you know, even still, I um, I don't ever judge them or anything. And when sisters do that, it just really shows a reflection of themselves, you know, more than what they're saying to me. It just shows who they are and um, how they are, you know. Yeah, subhanAllah, which is really sad, actually, subhanAllah. So on that note, would you say that sisters who wear the niqab get treated differently from sisters who wear the hijab? Um, I do. I do. Uh, especially nowadays, I feel like hijab is so mainstream. You know, you see it on TV, you see it in magazines, you see it on billboard, you know, but you don't see niqabis. You know, they're still treated um, so different and not accepted. You know, I feel like the hijab is accepted, but not the niqab at all. Mm-hmm. And and that's like, you know, Shafana, it's, it's quite, um, I don't know, like, it's, it's a strange discussion, but the point of hijab is like, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, covering our, you know, modest, being modest, basically, you know, so, and it obviously is a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So it's just like, when you say that, you know, hijab is your own billboards and things like that and accepted, it makes it's like it's almost going against the principle of hijab the fact that you know they are being pushed into the mainstream now but at the same time because of the society that we live in and how it's so visual and you know people are you know always being bombarded with the visual the more they see something the more they get used to it but it doesn't seem to work with the naqab at all you know there's just a dislike that people have for it and to be honest i think personally that if the niqab became something that was mainstream, that maybe we could end up losing, you know, what the niqab actually stands for, because like maybe it's going to get abused to that kind of extent where it's not actually fulfilling the criteria. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I totally get it. And, and that's something um, I totally agree with that, you know, because it's true, you know, that's not um, when you try to, with any cop being on social media and everything it's like um, a fine line and you try to keep that balance and make sure you don't um, especially as a nikabi that you don't cross that line and you're not um, like giving it a bad name in a way I don't, I don't know exactly how to say it but you know it, it's a fine line yeah. and I think that um, it's not meant to because when you decide to wear the niqab it's not like you're um, you know, you're living for Jannah, you're not living for this dunya. Exactly. That makes sense, you know? Yeah, I'll come to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, okay, talk more about your um, projects. You've mentioned, okay, you, that you, the charity work that you okay, do in the yeah. garden society. What about, okay. like, your, like, like, how do you earn a living, basically? What are you doing, okay. like, work-wise? So, um, so besides my Nikabi Society, which I started as my um, organization, I also have my own um, business making natural products. Mm-hmm. I have uh, my business is called Pfizer Fresh. Mm-hmm. I have a couple different organizations, right? But so my business Pfizer Fresh, um, I make all natural products. Mm-hmm. And um, when I became Muslim, I noticed that a lot of the products had, um, they weren't halal. Yes, they have pork in them, the beauty products, the shampoos, the soaps, and it was so hard to find products that were halal, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think people even think, you know, you don't think that your soap is made from pig fat, you know, you don't think that your shampoo and your makeup and um, here in America, just about everything is. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I decided to make my own. So I taught myself how to make soaps and I make um, halal soaps. 
-hmm. most um most of the products that you know we use we tend to use it's um vegan or vegetarian mm -hmm. and that's how they go about it but i use halal products in mine so um I use halal um, animal products. Mm -hmm. I actually, um, soap and everything has, since the beginning of time, it's been made with animal fat. Mm -hmm. So I render the halal meat, the halal fat, mm -hmm. and I make my soaps with it. I make uh, oh, my wow. products with all halal um, grass-fed mm -hmm. animal products. And so um, it's so beneficial for your skin. Mm -hmm. It's, super, it's um, very moisturizing. Um, and it gives you all of the vitamins and stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's very close to our natural oils and everything in our skin. So it doesn't clog your pores, yeah. like oils or butter might and everything. Um, and your skin just accepts it really well. Yeah. So I um, taught myself how to make all natural products. And um, I also sell sea moss and I have um, different things like that. And I have it all on my website. Um, so yeah, so I have a business where I make all natural products. And since I did grow up in um, foster care, I started an organization to help kids who age out of the system. So I have a, a nonprofit organization called Pfizer Cares. And what that is, is um, I help foster kids who have aged out of the system. Mm -hmm. um, when I grew up in foster care, I was 16 and I was kicked out and I was on my own. And there wasn't anybody there to help me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I know the struggles and I know what it is that um, they're missing and what they need. Mm -hmm. So with my organization, um, the Pfizer Cares, I try to help the ones who um, are aging out of the system. And I do that through um, teaching them skills, um, giving them family and a support system. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the main thing that helped me. I knew from a young age mm -hmm. that um, I had to think of something to make my own money. And so um, I taught myself skills mm -hmm. and I used that to be um, an entrepreneur and build my own um, businesses instead of relying on other people. Mashallah, mashallah. That's amazing. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work that you're doing, mashallah, and it's really important work as well. Like you said, the children who age out the system, because 16 is still a really young age to be on your own. You know, and I, I know, um, you know, some young girls in that situation. And I mean, even young boys as well at that age are still very vulnerable as well. And when you don't have any family to help you and, you know, there's nobody to guide you and, you know, you're in this position where it's like anything could happen to you, basically, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And so um, and at that age and at that, th there's not really help for them, mm. you know. They help you when you're in the system, which I had tried to help kids in the system, yeah. but they're already getting the help. You know, they really need it once they're out of the system and they don't have um, anybody else to help them. If you think about it, even people who have parents, they'll go off on their own trying to make a living, but then something happens and they might lose their job. They can't afford their rent. They could go back home to their parents. Yeah. Kids in foster care, they don't have that. They can't go back home to their mom. They can't go on their couch and you know, they don't have that. If they don't have a place to live or sleep, they don't have a place, you know? And so um, that's why it was so important for me to help the foster kids who age out of the system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, like, okay, so what kind of skills do you actually teach them? Obviously you said you, 
you know, you started being an entrepreneur, you had to teach your own self skills. So what kind of skills do you give them? And like, on like practically as well, like, how do you, how can you actually help them? How is it that you're helping them? Just like for other people, for example, if they're listening to this now and they know other children in that situation who are at that vulnerable stage and they need help, like, especially as Muslims, because I find that in the UK, um, one of the things that puts a lot of Muslims off fostering is the whole issue of, um, you know, mahram and non-mahram, especially with the young males and things like that. And even for the young girls as well, if you're a married woman and, you know, how can you look after girls in your house because you, you maybe you've got husbands or you've got young sons, for example. So how do you manoeuvre um, those kind of things in Islam? Because we know, obviously, that we are, as Muslims, responsible towards them as well. But, you know, just to communicate um, how you navigate that so that other Muslims can see how it can be done. Well, what I think um, growing up in the system, I see how the system is broken. Mm-hmm. And what I think is, I don't think that it's right for kids to be taken away from their parents and put into another home and then for them to think that that's their parents. That's not their parents. Of course, of course. You know? So I, I don't agree with that part. And I think that, okay, they can be their caregivers, but I think they need to tell the kids the truth early on. Let them deal with it. Don't don't let them live this lie. And then they get older and then it's, oh, you know, then they start figuring it out or they start understanding or they start feeling, you know, like this isn't my mother. Yeah. What happened to me was I grew up with a lady and when I was 16, she kicked me out. Mm. So I thought this was my family, but then it was, oh, she's not because this oh, isn't what your family would do, mm. you know? And so I don't agree with the, the system. What I think should be done is I think it should be more like a um, a group home type of environment, but one that's run correctly. Yes. You know, like a um, like a more caring orphanage in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, where they they have the kids living there, but they're teaching them skills, they're teaching them life lessons mm-hmm. too. You know, things that your parents would teach you as a kid. This is what needs to be taught to the um, to foster kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, how I would help the kids with the skills is there's um, opportunities available to them, but they don't know. Yes. When I was growing up, I didn't know I could go to college for free. I didn't know these type of things. Uh And so I I let them know what's available to them. I guide them in the right direction. You know, they already are having problems. You know, they're not with their mother. Anybody who's not being raised with their mother, they have problems, you know? Of course. um, And so um, guidance, guidance is huge. And letting them know what's available to them. That's amazing, really amazing work. So um, what um, would you advise other sisters who feel that they really want to wear the niqab but they don't have the confidence to maybe because they don't have any kind of support around them? What would you advise advise them? As far as what I would tell a sister, um, just go for it. You know, we don't, when you do things for the sake of Allah, you know, um, Allah will protect you, inshallah, you know, that's it, it's like, um, things will happen, and Allah will test you along the way, but when you're doing it for the sake of Allah, you know, he'll protect you, like I was saying before, at times where it's like, you're proving to Allah in a way that um, you do want Islam, or you do want, you know, you you want this, you know, it's not something that you're just doing, you know, and so I would just say, just do it, make dua to Allah, and just wear it. Inshallah, inshallah. So have you met any sisters who 
really want to wear it in their car, but they're not allowed to wear it? Um, you know, I don't really, um, I don't really know too many sisters or um, I don't really know too many sisters like that where I know if they do or if they don't. Um, but sisters who aren't so confident or they think that they can't or they're hesitant to wear it, just do it and try it. You know, the niqab is so beautiful. It's so liberating. It's so empowering. Um, with niqab, it, it really gives you like so much power. They look at it like we're oppressed and it's such the opposite, you know, after being a niqabi, it's the complete opposite. You have so much power and you're just, um, you're free, you know, yeah, literally like since I've um, started wearing it, like you, you see, and you feel it, you, you see how you're so free. You're not chained to society's ideas of what beauty is or um, other people's idea of beauty you're just you're free from it and um you're in total control you know I control who knows what I look like who sees who who gets in my space who um I control all of that with this you know it definitely makes you more mindful of um, you know your surroundings and how you're carrying yourself like all these things that you mentioned you know before even like your journey to when the Nakab itself with the heels and everything like all those kind of things you think about them Whereas before, um, you don't, like, these are things you don't really think about, do you know what I mean? Like, because you're just stressing, you know, to kind yeah. of go with your own desires. So even, even like you're saying, the hijab, the niqab itself gives you control. It's even control over your own selves. Because sometimes as women, I think we make ourselves sick with trying to actually look a certain way and achieve certain things with our looks that we don't actually need to do and when it's not even pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what is the point so when we're wearing the niqab especially like because we're covering everything it's like well you just take away all that hassle yeah and I think that um it's it's such a level of protection you know even as I remember um I remember going somewhere with my friends who weren't Muslim and they were trying to go in a place and um it wasn't a place for you know, a Muslim sister would go, mm -hmm. you know? And so because of that, I'm like, nah, I can't go in there. <laughs> I'm going to stay in the car, you know, I'll wait for you guys. Yeah. And so it's, it's a protection. It's a reminder. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, certain places we don't belong. Exactly. And if I wasn't dressed like this or something, even if I was Muslim, I might be tempted to go there. Yes. But because I'm dressed like this, there's, I'm, I'm not going in there, you know? Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, so finally, sister, to end the interview, what does the niqab mean to you? Um, like I was just saying, it's it's empowering, it's liberating, it's um, it's freedom. It's it's literally, um, it, it's a barrier, it's a shield, but um, it's a protection and it, it's a reminder of um, it's a reminder of my goals. It's a reminder of. Allah and Islam and what it is that I want for my future and you know working towards Jannah inshallah inshallah sister thank you so much for giving your time today for this beautiful interview and I'm sure that the listeners will have enjoyed it and benefited from it inshallah Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. And I appreciate what you're doing, giving a voice to Nikabi sisters and allowing us to tell our stories and share our experiences as Nikabis to 
to, to everybody. So, you know, may Allah reward you and um, allow you to keep doing what you're doing and giving us all a voice and a platform to speak about being an Ikabi. I mean, I mean, well, yeah, it wouldn't be possible to do it without sisters like you who actually, you know, accept the invitation to take part because it is, it's a bit challenging sometimes even just trying to get sisters to even agree to do it. Not everybody's up for it, obviously. So, but alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. Yeah, sister. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.